So this is going to sound a bit crazy, but stay with me. A few hours ago, I watched John Wertheim's 60-minute segment on the demolition of newspapers, thanks in large part to greedy hedge fund douchebags like Alden Global Capital's Heath Freeman. And I was thinking, we need a way to fight back. So what if we start up a series of news websites that cover different municipalities and regions, and we staff them with two genres of writers, the thousands upon thousands of retired scribes who are bored being retired and miswriting, and college interns who would do the work for credit. Everyone involved is aware that the money will be little. Whatever ad revenue is generated goes to the staff. And we really do it because we love journalism. We've gotten a lot from journalism. And this medium, and reporting, and digging, and fact-checking, and holding people accountable, they're all worth fighting for. Maybe it's just a pipe dream. But it's something. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers Sing and Yang, the podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's guest is, well, my wife, Catherine Perlman, and myself. I thought with Winning Time, the HBO series based upon my 2014 book Showtime, debuting March 6th, it'd be cool to tell you all the real story, the in-depth story, the super cool story of how this all came to be. I think you guys will really enjoy it. This is episode number 249. Let's sing some Yang. Dad, your podcast sucks, and you smell like vinegar and cottage cheese. All right, so I'm here with Catherine Perlman, and you have been on this podcast before because you've written a book, and you have another book coming out. I think you've been a guest twice, but this time you're not really a guest per se. We're going to talk about what it is to have a book optioned, and what the whole experience leading from showtime to winning time has been like. And I feel like we've definitely, because we're married, uh, we've gone through this together. And as we speak, you're folding laundry. I just want to say you're doing a very nice job. I'm going to ask you first, what has this been like for you? I mean, it's been nothing but pure joy. You know, it's like I always say how nice it is when you, you know, do work once and you get paid twice. Like it's something so um, ridiculously glorious that you wrote a book and it's not only being made into a TV show, but it's going to be on HBO. There are all these amazing stars in it. You've met incredible people. You've been able to, you know, just see this process from beginning till like show. And it's just, it's nothing but amazing. It's like, it's like a dream. It's kind of like a dream, but I always say I never had this dream. You know, like I never even came close. Like I've accidentally said a few times, it's a dream come true, which obviously it's a cliche, I never had this dream. You can confirm. It's not like early in our days when I was writing books. I was like, one day I really hope this becomes a movie. And that's why I'm writing this book, you know? Right. And not only that, you've written 10 books. 10. 10 books. And periodically some nice person will come to you with a great idea for a television show or a movie or a documentary based on one of your books. And they're willing to pay you a little bit of money for the time to like work on it. And, you know, in the beginning, you secretly, I don't mean you personally, but like in general, you can't help get a little excited. Gee, I wonder if something will come of it. But over the years, so many people have had truly great ideas, but it's a tough business and it's never worked out. And then, so then when Jim Hicks shows up and, you know, he's got another great idea and he wants to option this book, you think, okay, go ahead, Jim, but you don't really think anything's going to happen. I agree with that. And uh, let's actually, I'll go back a little bit in some background, which is my first book was called The Bad Guys One. And it was about the 86 Mets. And I've been pretty open about this. It was optioned very early on. 
And someone paid me $30,000 for the option to this book. Back a long time ago. So yeah, yeah, yeah. 2005-ish, I would say. Book came out in, I think, 04. So 05, 06. Someone, $30,000. And it's like, I'm a young writer. I've never had this happen before. It's my first book. And I think the thought is, holy shit, they're going to make... Are you opening a soda? Go ahead, make the noise. That's right. It was, wow. I already yeah. Um, you think, holy crap, someone's offering me this money and they're going to make a movie out of my book. And, you know, all the talk is there. We already know who we want in it and we have all these ideas and nothing happened. And through the years, I've probably had books optioned about 10 times, maybe. The lowest moment, do you remember the lowest moment? No. The lowest moment was um, it was about the bad guys one and someone had an idea. And he wanted to pitch it to a guy I know named Mike Tolan, really good guy who does a lot of sports movies. And he got me and Mike on the phone to pitch this idea. And I had connected him with Mike. So I was like, yeah, I know Mike, we, we can do it. And I remember I was sitting in the, uh, I was sitting in the coffee shop I used to like to write in in New York City. And we're on the phone and uh, the sun burst. And the guy goes, okay, I'm gonna start the pitch. And we're like, okay, he goes, it's 1986. 14-year-old Jeff is sitting in front of his TV watching the Mets really upset. And I was like, oh, fuck. And it was the worst pitch ever. And at the end, I called Mike Tolan and I was like, I'm so sorry about that. That was embarrassing. He's like, don't worry about it. And through the years, there have been a lot of like really embarrassing things. So, all right, it's 2014. Yeah. Jim Heck comes to our house. Neither of us know him. We live in New Rochelle, New York at the time. It's Easter Sunday. We have family over. Typical family members are over at our house. Well, we have family members over because it's a Sunday. We have yeah, right, right, there. right. So your dad was there, uh, your sister Jessica, your sister Leah, our nephews Jordan and Isaiah, and our kids Casey and Emmett are there. And I tell you, this guy is coming to our house. Yeah, I want to say something. Jim Heck, go ahead. What do you want to say? Okay, periodically you have like writer friends, businessy friends. They're coming for dinner. Like everyone's always welcome here for dinner. Sunday dinners, anybody's welcome. Mm-hmm. So periodically you say you're going to invite somebody for dinner, and I'm always okay, great. And sometimes. They're really interesting people. Sometimes they become part of our lives. Sometimes we never see them again. Sometimes they're odd and funny and it's a great story. So you tell me some guy is coming. I say, okay, great. He's part of the crowd. This was not like any other person who's ever showed up. Truly the most memorable guest for one reason. Go ahead. Okay. So Jim shows up as the very hungry caterpillar and he brings one tomato, one huge block of chocolate. In saran wrap. Saran wrap, because it's like baker's chocolate. Yeah. Like, it's not like a hunk that you're going to eat. Right. Wine drink, which is ironic in a way. Not ironic, but we don't really drink wine. And so, it, and, and he's... And Jim's been sober for he's years. He's in recovery. So it actually was kind of perfect. But, I mean, who brings wine drink over? Mm-hmm. And I think there was like a couple of other like one-off... You do? Random things. Yeah, there was like four or five things. It was like the most bizarre thing. And I'm thinking, a person who comes to a family's dinner and says... I'm going to bring a gift. It's a good thought. It's like good home training and goes to the store. And of all the things you can bring, they come with one tomato, a hunk of chocolate and wine drink. I'm thinking there's no way this is a human being that's going to get the job done. Like I, I don't think that that's a person who's going to get an HBO show done. And that's what's so amazing about it is that he did. Yeah. And, um, a few things about Jim. Number one, he's one of the best people I've ever met. He's just a great, great guy. He really is. And, all along the way. Because, you know, I've had a lot of dealings now with people in quote-unquote Hollywood who just kind of turn your stomach. And I've met a lot of guys. I, I've told you this. Like, they're 43. 
and they're just trying to get laid by the 22 year old aspiring actress. Like I've met a lot of guys like that. And a lot of guys who are gross and just disingenuous. And he's not. He's, but that's why you think, you know, how is this going to work? Because you perceive Hollywood to be this like yes. dog eat dog world. And it's like pretty cutthroat. And, you know, you got to be a certain kind of slick guy. And you've had slick people like approach you before. And, you know. When you say I'm slick. No, <laughs> I wouldn't say you're slick at all, which is why, you know, you and Jim can have such a nice friendship. But I mean, in a way, that's what's so like charming about it all. He's such a nice guy. So earnest. He had this great idea and he got it done. Yeah. And there was two guys. There was Jim Hecht and Jason Schumann. They work together. Uh, they're both USC guys. And they just from the beginning have been very honest and very decent. So Jim comes to our house and he's like, I just love the book and I think he can be something and blah, 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 blah. I want to, you know, I want to opt in this. And I did make a very big rookie mistake, which is I didn't charge him anything. I just gave him, which I would never do. But of course it worked out because we're staring at HBO. Oh my God, you would still do it. I'm sorry, but I that's like. Oh. I wouldn't do it. All right, good. I wouldn't do that anymore. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't. But you did it more than once. I did do it more yeah. than once. It didn't hurt me. I mean, it's not No, like, but I mean. You should never wait. A lesson for young journalists. Never give away your stuff for free. Yes. Unless you really have a good reason to. So. Jim comes and his idea is this is going to be a series and it's going to be something. It was never a movie. It was always TV. And over the years, he would keep me updated and he would ask for a little more time with it. I always gave more time. And we once had, there were discussions with, maybe it was Will Smith or someone about doing it and that fell through. And I never had hope. And there would be many times when Jim or Jason would invite me to a sporting event and I would say no. And I was like, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't. It was always because I just didn't trust anyone. Like, I just really didn't trust. I'm like a guy who's in abusive relationships and finally was like, I can't date anyone because I just don't trust. Also, this is eight years later. Yeah, it's crazy. That's a long time. So it's like, of course, and it's in the beginning, it kind of just looks like every other person who optioned it. Like, great, great ideas. We're going to talk to this person and that person. We're going to get back to you. And then they give you the update. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And years go by. So years go by. You think, okay, well, if something was going to happen, it would have happened. Right. But, you know, this moves slowly. So it's been eight years. And here you are from, you know, a hunk of chocolate to an actual show. And oh, yeah, That's very good. That, was well. that could be the title of the documentary, From a Hunk of Chocolate. A memoir. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, Jim Hex memoir. Um, the other thing is Jim Hex credits on IMDb. And I'm not belittling it because it's legit. But he did one of the Ice Age movies. And it's kind of like, well, what the fuck does this have to do with anything? You know? True, but... I mean, he did a he did sure. a great movie. So I mean, yeah. he did a big movie that right. counts as better than you know your Nothing. average nobody who has a great idea. Yeah, I've had a lot of like young, very young screenwriters come to me and say, "Look, I don't have any experience, but I want to intern with blah blah blah." So, all right, so it goes on for a long time. Nothing happens. I'm losing faith. A couple years ago, Jim says uh, Adam McKay wants to meet us. I had no idea. Did you know who Adam McKay was? No, of course not. Wait, and I remember you saying, I got to go, I'm meeting someone. You know, you're always meeting someone and I can't keep track of all the projects and mm. things that you're meeting with. And you go and you, I remember you saying like, maybe I should just like look up this guy. You know, I'm going to meet this guy named Adam McKay. I don't know anything. I never even read the credits now. All of a sudden, of course I do. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, maybe I should Google him. And then we both Googled him. We're like, oh my gosh. Right. Wow. Right. So then I'm at Adam McKay's house with Jim and Adam McKay's lying on his couch and we're talking sports, and he's great. He's really cool. He's just a cool guy. And I still have no faith that this thing is going to happen. And eventually, HBO contracts came. And the thing is, I still had no real faith. And I was thinking the other day, I remember what happened is, one day, someone texted me, and it was like, holy shit. And there was a Dateline article that said HBO casts 
I don't remember who it first was, maybe John C. Riley or maybe Jason Clark in series based on Laker book or something like that. And then the lead was like, you know, based on Jeff Perlman's book. And I was like, whoa. And then I don't know if you remember this. Like one day I, I would text you, I would text you articles that came out. And one day it was like Sally Field. And that was kind of nuclear. That was like a nuclear bomb, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, like who was more legitimate than Sally Field? Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep is like a tie. Yeah, I agree. I said that at the time, like you said, who would be named one female actor that would be like the bomb, just like truly the most like amazing accomplishment. And I was basically like Meryl Streep, Sally Field, like that's it. Like right. it's amazing. Right. And yeah. then also, I mean, the thing that's amazing about this show is it is the big names, but it's also the people who it's their first time and they're oh, yeah. amazing and it's joyful, like seeing them have this experience. It's almost more fun than for us is to see these people who were, you know, like going to school and working and doing whatever and the pandemic. And then all of a sudden they're casting this huge HBO show. It's, it's just so fun to watch. Wait, just to verify that I'm not a fraud or full of shit. How many times have I said to you about the Quincy Isaiah story just blowing me away? The guy who plays magic, just like how awesome it is that this is a guy from nowhere who no one's ever heard of. And now he's on a billboard. It's, it's truly amazing. And in a way, it feels um, like a parallel process with totally. Magic Johnson. Like it feels like this guy with this winning smile and just a happy, charismatic guy who was from, you know, not nationally known mm -hmm. to like, boom, like all of a sudden an explosion. I would say Magic was pretty nationally known in college, but otherwise you're totally on. You're okay, totally on. but like people who follow it, but I wouldn't have followed it until it was like, you know, NBA. I'm just he, saying. He was on the cover of Sports person. Illustrated as a college sophomore. Eh. Who reads sports? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> all right. So finally, um, it's all these headlines are coming out and I sign a contract with, you know, real money and we're not getting rich off it, but it's definitely nice. It's good money. It's cool. And, and um, to explain to people a little bit before, like basically what happens is you get paid for the rights when someone HBO agrees to pay you the rights to the book. So we're going to make this film, this TV show based on your book. We're going to give you the X, X amount. And then we'll pay you per episode, an amount per episode, which is really great. Because um, as you said, it's like getting paid twice. You wrote the book, and then you get paid for something totally different. Right. And not only that, it's all the joy with none of the work. Like, none of the work. You already did the work. Yeah. All you have now is to sit back and enjoy it. Yeah, which is really sweet. And also, I mean, you know, Catherine here has her second book coming out, if I haven't mentioned that. Like writing a book is a lonely, isolating experience. And as I've always quoted Lee Montville saying, you're in your cave for two years. You come out for two weeks for PR into the sun. And this is like coming out into the sun, but a really bright sun, mm -hmm. like not just, all right. So we're going to talk about October 3rd, 2019, which we, I think agreed was better than our wedding day. Correct. Way better. Like way better than our wedding day. Maybe the, maybe the best day of my life. You definitely. Okay. So basically what happened is we, we were, we were, I don't know how it came up, but we, myself, Catherine, our kids, Casey and Emmett, we're all given uh, spots in the show in the first episode. We are all in the first episode. Catherine is the only one you will notice. Like background play. What do you call that? What? Cameos. Ca yeah, cameos. Cameos. And, um, or extras. Our kids yeah. are extras. We're more cameo extras. Well, a cameo implies somebody famous. Like, we're extras. That's a fair point. All right, we're extras. <laughs> good point, good point. So they said on October 3rd, you and your wife come and you're going to be in the show. But wait. Go ahead. 
they asked me to come in like two weeks before and I went and I tried on like some crazy 70s outfits and I mean all of that was just part of like the cool experience and like right behind me were actual real extras who are you know paid to do acting and stuff coming in and getting their stuff fit up and like seeing all of the 70s garb and shoes and watches and all that stuff that was super cool just even doing that. And you're like a social worker from Long Island. Well, here's the thing. Social workers, we, like, are the armpit of, like, the work environment. Like, I've worked in some of the crappiest places. There's no glitz. There's no glamour. This was, like, just so not part of my or any of our normal experience. It was just really, really fun. All right, so I'm going to give you, because we haven't actually talked about this in a while. I'm going to give you free reign here. October 3rd, 2019. Give me your memories. Okay. Well, we were driving in, and you were actually kind of nervous. I remember I was, like, texting i took a picture of you like driving you're like no no don't do that you can't tell anyone you were very very like high strung and nervous which i understand because it's you know it's not our business and we don't want to ruin anything mm. and then we get there and it was, it was like, in la yeah it was in la at the roosevelt hotel oh good memory right yeah and then which we also knew, knew nothing about mm. and then but once we got there it was like we were vips you know well you were and i was your extra and there was like someone to greet us, and then there was your favorite thing, which is free craft services. Craft services. And you ate twice, in fact, because you were so happy to have free food. Mm-hmm. And then there was a trailer. I'm gonna let you say how what was on the trailer. <laughs> the trailer said Perlman. Did it say Jeff Perlman or Perlman? I don't remember. Maybe Perlman. And it was P E R L M A N. And the funny thing is, I guess once after I went, and they misspelled my name on the parking space. P E R L M A N. My name is with an A. And the funny thing is, number one, I love it a million times more that they spelled the name wrong. And like, I didn't give a shit that they spelled the name wrong. I was not even slightly, 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 slightly in any way, shape or form offended. I just, it was so nice of them to give us a trailer because it's so ridiculous. We were so unworthy of that trailer. Yeah, totally. That's what makes it. It's such a funny story. In fact, you took the tape off the trailer and it was in the um, armrest of the car for a long time. Oh yeah, now it's in my diary. And it was just, it's so funny because it's like, your hot stuff, not that hot. Not that you know, hot. They don't even know how to spell your name. And in the, so I had framed that they have basically a shoot schedule from that day with all the different actors and we're in it. I think I'm in it. I don't know if you're in it too. You might be in it. And it says P-E-R-L-M-A-N. So if you're ever an author and you have your book option and you think you're the shit. You're not. You're not the shit. Go ahead. Yeah, they don't even know how to spell your name. Yeah. Okay, so then we had our outfits ready. Mm-hmm. And we got dressed and there was like a problem. I needed a different slip. And then they brought us to hair and makeup. And the guy who did my hair, he was like, what should we do with you? What should we do with you? And then he said, I'm going to give you the Edna Garrett from Facts of Life. And like, if you've ever watched Facts of Life, you know what her hair looked like. It was a very certain haircut. Mm -hmm. So they did my hair like that. It had like a million pins and hairspray. And I loved it because it was amazing. It's amazing that that's your hair and not a wig. Everyone thinks it's a wig. It doesn't look like... I don't have a ton of hair. It looks like I have just this huge thing of hair. And um, it just... I felt like all of a sudden I was like you know, like in a costume, you know, because my outfit wasn't super 70s. And I remember later being on the set and almost and meeting people because you were meeting people, you know, and you'd be like, oh, this is my white Catherine. And I felt like I wanted to say to everyone there, this isn't my real hair. This isn't how I really... Which you is, did say that to Gabby Hoffman. I know, it's so stupid because nobody's in their real hair and nobody's in their real outfits. Like, that's the dumbest thing, but I was so embarrassed, but also like out of my elements, you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, so then um, they walked us down to the set and it was like... In the hotel. So we wait, let me just say, we changed in trailers. Yeah. 
the set, everything was being filmed in the Roosevelt Hotel. They set up a bunch of rooms, and in those rooms, they did sets. Yeah. So we walk in, and they set up. The first thing we saw was the um, where they were doing the actual draft. And I've never... The, N- wait, the NBA draft, 1979 NBA draft. Yeah, the NBA draft. So I've never watched like old tapes of the draft. So I don't know what it would have looked like. I've seen well, no, You're such a loser. You've never watched an NBA draft on tape. Like <laughs> I'm, the 70s? I haven't... E- I have. Yeah, yeah you've right. watched many. Mm-hmm. So, but then when you see it, it's like all of a sudden, it's almost like being at Disney where you're transformed in a completely different world. It looked like the 70s, a bunch of guys smoking cigarettes, you know, with their head down. It was just, it was like an out-of-body experience. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't very, you say? Very much so. 100%. Like, that was the first thing, like, scene we saw. And then I remember there Wait, was... Wait, I just want to say one thing. It literally was like walking into the 1970s. Like, yes. we left our trailers... We entered the Roosevelt and we went through some time portal and we're in the 1970s. Yes. And everyone was in that 1970s world. Mm-hmm. It was so strange. And then remember they, we met some woman, like we were standing in the hallway, like someone dropped us off and maybe the next person was supposed to meet us and a woman comes up and she's like, who are, like, what are you here to do? And we were like, uh, right. uh, she's like, are you extras? And we're like, yeah. And she goes, well, you go there. And then like, but no, I don't, the guy told us, you know, we don't go there. And we didn't even know what to say, what we were. Anyway, then it became clear and they, they moved us to kind of watch for a little bit. And then your scene, you came up first. My scene was first. Yeah. So my scene, I basically played a reporter. And uh, I. it's funny because you had your hair all done. And they told me not to shave my head. I usually shave my head. They said, don't shave your head. for, And it was probably three months. And sadly, I, I look like, my hair looked like a wig of a balding 1970s guy, which was just me being a balding 2000 and. 19 guy and um it did look 70s though i know it did did. and uh, a little donutty and um the magical moment for me by far by far one of many actually was um i was doing my scene and my scene basically i'm a reporter around the commissioner's desk in the nba office main office in new york before the draft is going to happen and the coin flip between the bulls and the lakers to see who gets the number one pick wait don't even say the part yet we go in to do the scene and like you're in the part where there's a scene mm-hmm. and I'm sitting behind the cameras and Adam McKay is there mm-hmm. and the, you know, the chairs, the black chairs that say like, I think they said showtime at the time. Yeah, they sure did. Yeah, on the back of the chairs in purple. And, you know, watching this all happen, I'm taking pictures and video because I'm just like, this is so crazy. And Adam McKay is being like just super generous and like saying like, Jeff, say this, Jeff, say that, you know, like improvising and he knew every single word of that script he knew every single player he knew who everybody was like i know people say he's a genius and i'm sure he's a genius in many ways but like actually seeing him and in, in like interacting and doing his thing it was amazing you yeah. know didn't you think? i was blown away yeah. by his genius like, he was truly. like a conductor of an orchestra who knew what every instrument was supposed to yes. sound like at every moment yeah but i hadn't anticipated that it was kind of like that but it's like an orchestra of a million people right. and a million moving parts. And, right. you know, I don't say like, I don't think of a director as a genius because that's just not my, you know, world. But in this case, just watching him interact and do all his things, he felt like a genius to me. Go ahead. Do you want to say the thing? You, you can say, say it. Okay. So then at some point, he's like the action stops or whatever. And this I have on video. And it actually, it's the happiest I've ever seen you. and Embarrassed happy. And the most embarrassed. Yeah. So... He stops everything and he goes, everyone, I just want to stop everything. And I just want you to say, you know, everyone, this is Jeff Perlman. And if it wasn't for him, none of us would be here. He's the one that wrote the book. 
and you got a standing ovation and everybody starts clapping and you you turn bright red and you're smiling you put your head down and it was like the most amazing thing because it was again so generous of him to say that and you should get some recognition like you did write a book and here it is that you are now like helping people make a tv show you know it was it was amazing you it, were- uh, it, it was the one other moment i said this uh was uh, the guy who plays Michael Cooper is an actor named Delante D'Souza, a really nice guy. And um, a few months later, I was on the set and he's wearing his Laker uniform. He's playing Michael Cooper and he's sitting on the side and we're just chatting and he goes, do you ever think to yourself how none of this exists and none of us have jobs right now if it's not for your book? And it's so preposterously over the top. Like the Lakers existed and they could have theoretically made the show about the Lakers without my book. So I'm not saying it's accurate. But sometimes people say things to you, like I'll remember him saying that and I'll remember McKay saying that 40 years from now yeah. if I'm still alive. You know, like I just, there are those moments, you know, that's one of them. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. And just, you know, doing the acting, you know, <laughs> like, oh, and the guy who plays the commissioner. Was oh, great. He was an amazing actor. Again, you know, we watch things on TV, but seeing somebody do the lines like live in that moment, it just, it, it really blew me away, and he blew me away. Yeah, he was great. He pulled it off. And um, one thing I was thinking, I haven't expressed this, is like whenever I've talked to people, whenever people have known that I wrote the book or that I'm a writer, I feel like the actors I've dealt with and the people who work in this business actually have a lot of respect for writers. Like it's a lot of like, I'm not saying people are like, oh, you're the best, but there's a lot of like, oh, really? What was the, pro-? you know, what was the process? And what was that? Like I think people generally find it like wor- worthwhile work. I know it sounds dumb. Like, you mean like in the acting world? Yeah, I feel like they like, like there's just a sincerity about like, whoa, you wrote the book. What is what is that like? And but yeah. I think there's an acknowledgement. Without writing, there is no job. Sure, I guess so. All right, so you um your role actually brought me the greatest joy, and the fact that you're the only one of the four of us to make a sound in the show. Like there actually is a sound from you, and it's you laughing. And I'll, I'll start telling this, and you want to talk. You so you basically play a secretary to the Chicago Bulls GM Rod Thorne. And this is during the draft. So the draft takes place in three areas. New York, where the commissioner's office is. L.A., where Jerry Buss and Jack Kent Cook are via phone. And Chicago, where Rod Thorne is. And they gave you a role basically standing to the side of Rod Thorne during the coin flip. And Adam McKay just made up that your name would be Donna. And we've called you Donna now for almost three years. And it was just a spur-of-the-moment thing. Well, he didn't say it that way. What happened was... The guy who was playing Rod Thorne mm-hmm. also, to me, was, like, really in it. Mm-hmm. And he said at one point, like, what's her name to, about me? Because he wanted to call me by my name. He was improvising also. So he said, like, what's her name? And then Adam McKay yelled in, her name is Donna. Oh, yeah. So that's how I became Donna. Something nobody would remember except for us. Yeah. So I'm I'm in this scene, and there's four of us in the scene. It's you have Rod- to let me tell about the Sydney, though, part. Okay, yeah, I'm not going to be able to tell that well. So uh, it's Rothworn is sitting and I'm standing behind him with my notebook. I'm pretending to be a secretary and I'm writing very important notes. And the two guys on either side of me and they're smoking cigarettes and the cameraman is like right there in front of us. And you and... Not um, real cigarettes, just to be clear. Yeah, they're fake cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are in the next room with, um, you know, Adam McKay and the writers and... Gabby Hoffman. Gabby Hoffman, who I think is... A, an amazing we love we came away from this experience i would say huge gabby hoffman fans gabby hoffman at the time she was nursing yeah. right 
she was pumping. First of all, I love I love Gabby Hoffman. I love For you people who don't know, she was the kid in Field of Dreams. She was great and transparent. Yeah, she and she's been amazing. in a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, uh huh. Okay. So I've always really liked her. I think she's amazing. But she was walking around the set holding a breast pump, and if you're a working mother. You know what that is. You know what that's like. And just, I just felt so much respect for her. She didn't give a crap. She wasn't walking around being like, you know, I need a special room. You know, she was like, Nothing. I'm a mother. I'm nursing. Here's what I'm doing. Here's my breast pump. You know, she was just so down to earth, matter of fact. But I was very impressed with her and, and kind of in awe. So she's in the other room with you. And um, Jerry Buss is there. John C. Riley. John C. Riley, yeah. And um, a bunch of other people in the room, the writers. And so... We're going through the scene and, and Adam McKay does like he always does. He's, you know, improvising. Okay, now say this, now say that. And a Catherine lean over and say, you know, I think it's heads or I think it's, you know, he's like giving me lines and I am not an actor. I have hated being in every single play I've ever been in. Were you in a play at Racket Lake Girls Camp? I was so bad that they took away my lines, but you had to be in the play and I was so mad. So then they let me do the lights. And that became like a thing. So, so like, that's your your IMDb page is lights at Racket Lake Girls Camp and Donna. Exactly. Like, I mean, mm. it, I hate it so much. But for some reason, in that moment, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't like thinking I was acting. I was, I felt like I was a secretary. Like, I can't explain it. It was, it was again, out of body experience it was so crazy. And I, every like time he would yell cut, I would look over at you and Gabby Hoffman. And you're both there giving me the thumbs up. And it was just, it was just crazy. Right. So there's. You had a line, and it was basically the balls lose the coin flip, and you said something like, "I think we should take Sydney Rupp Moncrief, right?" I or is it? I like. Yeah. I I think it was. I like Sydney Moncrief, and Rod Thorne's line. This has got cut, so it's no big deal. Was Donna? Nobody gives a fuck. But you know, Donna, nobody really gives a fuck what you think. Right. So she does it. She does it, and um, they go action, and Catherine goes. Well, the good news is David Greenwood is a can't miss. I kind of like Sydney Moncrief. Uh, Sydney, Sydney That's right. She looks at me and we're laughing. That, that was when Gabby Hoff and I were laughing. And that's when you started laughing because you fucked up the name. And I won't give away too much, but you will see that laugh, I believe, in the first episode. That is her line in the first episode is her laughing because she fucked up the name Sydney Moncrief. Of course, Sydney Moncrief, one of the great basketball players of all time. And I got you a cameo later of Sidney Moncrief so making fun Moncrief, of you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that was an amazing. And then the whole day was like, it's like that feeling you get, like wedding day, you have these highs, right? These moments of highs where you notice all your friends are under the same roof, right? Or you see someone, you see a bride for the first time, and it's like this high moment, this rush. But there's a lot of stress at a wedding. Like there's a lot of like, uh, I hope my parents get along with my in-laws or I hope the, the cake isn't falling, whatever. And this thing, after getting past the initial stress of just the nervousness of it all, was this a freaking like joy on steroids experience? When you Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, the thing is at your wedding, you have responsibilities, you have nerves, you know, there's things to go wrong. It just so much pressure here it was literally just all joy there was no responsibility there was no pressure i remember before we left you took a bunch of snacks they were just like snacks out and you're like oh free snacks you took more snacks and it was just you know just the most special unusual like i can't even put words to it kind of day yeah and then at the end so oh first of all when i left it reminded me of the scene 
Remember him almost famous when he covers a concert for the first time and he's leaving the arena and he's just been there. He covered his first concert and he's like, keep it real, Red Dog. See you later, Bull. You know, and he's walking out. Yeah. Righteous. That's how I felt leaving. I was like, all right, see you, Bob. See you, guys. See you, yeah. see you, see you. And it was just like, and then you're like, let's go have a really good dinner. And we went to a sushi place, remember? Went to a fancy sushi yeah. place. You're like, let's have a good dinner. And then we just like, still even since that day, we've like, let's look at the pictures. Yeah. Let's scroll through the video. Let's just look at it again because it's so cool. It was amazing. It was amazing. It was truly one of the best days ever. So, And it we, was a gift. It felt like a gift. Totally. Felt like a gift. It was like, this is what I've said. I've had two of these in my recent career. Like when I went to spend the day working on Three Ring Circus, spend the day with Phil Jackson in Montana, and I basically spent seven hours with him driving around, and he's showing me around Montana, and we go for lunch, and then we go for dinner. I felt like I won the bid on the spend a day with Phil Jackson trip. Mm -hmm. And this felt like spend a day as Hollywood royalty. We'll give you a parking space, a trailer. We'll give you both extras and all the food you want. And you'll hang out with Gabby Hoffman, a real Hollywood star. You know, like, yes. that's what we won. Yes, we won. Right. Before we continue with Two Riders Slinging Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman, and I'm here with Anna, my daughter's college pal, and a young woman who's going through a tough time. My dog Pablo died recently. I'm inconsolable. Don't worry, Anna. Pablo's with Jesus right now. Really? With Jesus Christ? On a cloud in heaven? Uh, no. I meant Jesus Montoya, late one-time kicker for the San Antonio Gunslingers of the USFL. I know Pablo is a big fan of Arroyo Retros, home of the best throwback jerseys, hats, and t-shirts. So I'm sure he's with Jesus, rocking some gear and visiting RoyalRetros.com. Gonna be honest, I really preferred him in heaven with our Lord and Savior. Don't push your luck, kid. Your dog shit on the rug. A lot. So, that happens. My kids also had a day where they were on set. Catherine couldn't come. I took them. And, um... They're, they're extras in a, in a scene. And there's the same thing. Like, people are lovely. Everyone's been great. There was another time I was on set. I don't know if you remember this. You probably do. When I FaceTimed you. And I was like, the Chicago Bulls are walking by. And there was the entire Chicago Bulls team from 1979 walking by. And then the Lakers were coming by. And Quincy Isaiah, who plays Magic, was there. And I'm like, Quincy, say hi to my, uh, come, come say hi to my wife. And I was FaceTiming with you. Mm -hmm. And I remember the moment I felt old. Is he goes, hey, Mrs. Perlman. Do you remember that? Yeah, of course. <laughs> and also, um, I think something else that kind of blew us away was the attention to detail of the era. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when, and especially I think when you actually see the show, you're brought right back to it. I remember they looked at my watch, they looked at my jewelry, all the like sneakers, the just everything was so exactly the time period. And I even looked at the coin and the coin toss was the right year. Yeah. You know, it's just so much detail that, you know, we, I just felt like we had a lesson in what goes on. Well, I think I said early on, like, um, very early on, someone called me from wardrobe and said, do you have any idea what uniforms they wore? The fabric. First was what the uniforms look like in the 79 summer league. And would you know what the fabric was? And I did a lot of research on newspapers.com and found it. And I want to say, I feel like this is an important point to make. I have never tried to say I'm like a big part of this production, right? I'm not. Like it's based on my book. I never wanted to be the author, the annoying author who like looms. Never wanted to be that guy. I hate the idea of that even is like repugnant to me. But they've been freaking incredible. They've really been incredible. Like Kevin Messick, who's, you know, a producer on this, sending me all the scripts and all the sh episodes and asking me, does this work? Does this work? Jim, ask me, does this work? Does this work? Um, 
the writers, Max and Rodney, just really, really gracious and really kind about it all. And like, you could easily make, you could, they could have easily, and they would have been within their rights to be like, buddy, you just wrote the book. You can, that's fine. We got the book. Thanks a lot. You're getting your money. Goodbye. And they haven't been that way at all. But it's also been so fun for you to see something and be like, that was in my book. Like that was something that nobody knew. And then it was in my book. And then you see it on TV and it's just, you know, like it reminds you, you do have a role here. You, you weren't involved in the show per se. You were, you know, an outside advisor whenever they needed it and you were happy to do it. You're not getting paid to do that. You know, you're just here to be helpful. But then you see one nugget and it really does remind you, oh yeah, this is all from my book. I mean, the big one for me is like Jack McKinney, who, um, the coach of Magic's first year just for a handful of games. And that was not very well known. And also that Jerry Tarkanian was a coach briefly before that. And I wrote all about that. And that for me, seeing that in the show, and you're like, whoa, like this actually is my book coming to life. And the other thing I I had on this podcast a while ago, uh, Angie Thomas, who wrote The Hate You Give, and I asked her what it was like walking onto a set. And she's like, it's like your book opening up and you stepping on it. And that's really accurate. Like, that's what it's like. It's like your book opening up and you stepping into it and it becomes this three-dimensional thing and you're just living it. And it's just, it's crazy. It's really crazy. Can we talk about when we went to go see the screening? Yeah. The pilot? Yeah, go first. Yeah, of course I do. What do you remember? Okay, so we we go in. I've never been to... Was it Warner Studio? It was the one with the rainbow in Culver City. Studio. Yeah, something studio. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so we I've never been to like a, stu- a set or stage or like anything like that before. So we go in and we park and then there's this gigantic rainbow and there's like a town and mm-hmm. we saw like the Ghostbusters car was there. We sound like tourists, but you have to understand, this is not, we are not savvy Hollywood insiders. We're just two schlubbubs from New York who like we moved to We were yeah, like, wow, right. this is so cool. I wish I had been there before. Okay, yeah, yeah but yeah. I... So I'm I, kind of a Hollywood big timer, but for you, it was the first time. I had never been there. Yeah, yeah, so we're walking around, and then I remember we met Rick Fox. Oh, yeah. And I... used to love Rick Fox. I mean, Rick Fox is a nice-looking man, and... He's a foxy guy. I am a five-foot, like, zero inches little person. Yeah. And to me, you are gigantic, and then here comes Rick Fox, and Six, I remember... seven, I think. I remember shaking his hand... And just be like, wow, that's just a gigantic hand. Well, I just want to say Rick Fox, who's a great guy, has been an advisor to the to the project. So that's why Rick Fox would be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that was sort of fun. It was like, oh, yeah, Rick Fox. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Nice to meet you. And um, I just want to say, like, even though I sound super excited, like, on the outside, I look like a normal person. You know, I I, try, I, I would never, like, go up to somebody no. or introduce myself. Or like, ask for an autograph or can I take a selfie with you? You're not that person. Neither am I. Neither am I. Sorry. Never in a million years. Even if I desperately wanted it, yeah. I could never do it. I never want to bother someone. But so it was nice to meet him. And then we go to the screening room. And we have no idea what to expect. I was nervous. I was like, are we, are we supposed to sit somewhere or wait somewhere? Like, what are we supposed to do here? Yeah, so we sat all the way in the back. And, like, you know, the important people sat in the front. And they had some lunch ordered. And the show started. And I remember, I don't know, for the first 10, 15 minutes, it was, like, just boom, boom, boom. Just incredible rush, you know. It was just this show that you didn't want to blink. It was so good. And the the, um, episode finished and... Someone said, oh, Adam wants you to come down and talk to him. Oh, yeah. 
So oh, yeah. you went down and, you know, you chatted with him a Wait, little bit. Wait, I have to say a little more. Like, this is important. I actually forgot about this. Adam McKay so is a huge guy in Hollywood. Like a huge guy. One of the big, big hitters. And this thing ends and someone's like, yeah, Adam wants to come, wants you to come down and talk about it. And you're like, me? You know, like me? And he was really, again, like we were both in the room. He was really cool about it. He was yeah. very gracious. He actually wanted to hear the opinions. He didn't have to. He had no reason to ask me to go down. He didn't have to ask me to go down. No, They've he, just been so ridiculously good about this all. I think, though, it, you could tell he's a really big sports fan. Mm. And he's, like you, I would love to see the two of you go head-to-head in a trivia contest. Because, I mean... <laughs> I would kick his ass. What? <laughs> I feel like he knows a lot, yeah, though. He, does. he really he does. does. Yeah. He's really, like, knowledgeable. And so, yeah, he was just incredibly gracious. And it was... You know, us, like, what? You know, you want to hear our thoughts? Really, your thoughts. But I was there, too. And Was this pre-pandemic? This was still pre-pandemic. That was before the pandemic, yeah. God, that's so long ago, if you think about it. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So that was the other thing. It's like, oh, this super exciting thing is happening. And then it took, you know, seven, six, seven years to come about. And then it's like a pause. And we're on the outside. You don't know, is this is this a pause forever? Is this going right. to happen? You know, what's going to happen? Um, and it did end up happening, but you know, that was sort of until, you know, you got the go ahead and then you went back more times to see some of the filming. Can I tell my Sally Field story? Sure. So I'm on the last time I was on set, I'm walking across the parking lot and I see this woman walking and I'm like, uh, and this is something I never would have done. I said this to you, I would have never done this as a younger person. Cause I probably didn't have the confidence to do it. It's Sally Field. And I say, uh, I go, Hey, I'm Sally Field. And she goes, Yes. And I said, hey, my name is Jeff Perlman. I wrote the book this is based on. I just want you to know it's so thrilling that you're in this. And I stuck out my hand and she shook my hand and she said, that's so nice of you. Thank you. And she was with her dog. And um, we talked about her dog, a little black dog. And she was wonderful and really nice. And then I went back and did a, um, it was the same day, actually. And I had my name on a trailer again, actually. And this time it was spelled right, damn it. Um, I went back and did like, they're doing promotional videos where they interview the different people. Mm -hmm. And they interviewed me. And I think they shortened my segment because Sally Field is waiting, and I think that's fair. I think <laughs> yeah, that is she fair. outranks you. She might outrank me by a little bit. Um, She's Sally Field. Yeah, and now we've seen all the episodes. Yep. You're a fan of the show? I love the show. I, I mean, I'm not a huge, I'm not like an anti-basketball fan, no. but I'm, I'm not like, I don't feel the need to watch a lot of basketball. I certainly did not watch the Lakers in the late, 70s, early 80s. You know I'm 100% in on the NBA this year. 100% in, I heard. (laughs) Um, So for me, what I love about your books is it's all the human stories and all the behind the scenes stuff that you don't see when it's a game on TV. And I feel like that's what I love so much about the show. There's definitely basketball, but to me it's all about building the team and all these different personalities and their lives and where they came from and uh, their struggles, their real life, you know, struggles and it's it's so much more about that than it is just you know basketball team won this game and won that game and so i just i love the show i think it's a lot of fun and it's fascinating and the gratifying thing i know we touched on this a little is they're just like quincy was a division three college football player from michigan who was trying to break into acting um delante who plays michael cooper was a guy flipping houses in maryland who wanted to get more into acting solomon hughes is a PhD. Doctor. Dr. Solomon Hughes is a PhD who was teaching but wanted to get an acting. Now he's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, you know, there's just one guy after another after another 
um, and you look like at the movie posters and you look when they do the credits and it's like these names of these young up and coming guys starring on an HBO series with a Super Bowl ad alongside Sally Field, John C. Riley, Adrian Brody, Jason Segel, you know, Jason Clark, just one after another after another. And, um, and you know who I'm happiest for? I swear to God is Jim Hecht. I've said that all along. Like Jim Hecht came to our house with a block of chocolate, a tomato and wine drink. Well, I think as gratifying it is for you, you know, this was his dream. This was his vision. And now it's, and and I I don't say Jason, but only because I didn't meet him then Mm -hmm. when he came to the house. Mm -hmm. And so this is whatever, this is, he can have the same dream. Like you have a vision for something and you work on it for eight years and it actually happens and it's huge. It's coming out. It's huge. Like there's a Super Bowl ad there these enormous billboards in LA, you know, there are commercials. It's just this thing that you dreamt of that actually happened and he did it. Like it, they did it. It's just. You know, and what do I say? Wait, what do I say? Cause J- he's just a good guy. And he'll be like, Jeff, I want to make sure I'm always going to get you on interviews when I do interviews. And what do I always tell you that I'm like to him? I don't remember. I'm always like, take the, take the, you don't need me in this. Like this is a, this should be, like, this needs to be a celebration of you. Like, this is your achievement, yeah, you know? Yeah, you had like, your celebration. Your book came out. And he's a, but I'm just saying he's such a selfless guy. He's like, no, I want you to be in it. I'm like, seriously, don't worry about me. This is all good. So yep. uh, the sad, the sad epilogue to this is uh, the premiere is taking place this Wednesday in LA. Yep. Uh, it's pretty exciting. And uh, I have two tickets and I will be taking our son and daughter. They seem very excited. Some bought a new shirt yesterday and some pants. It's a pretty mm-hmm. big deal. And uh, you are sadly, I mean, sadly, happily, away with your mom for a long-planned 50th birthday. I said, how old you are? You don't seem to mind. Yeah. The 50th birthday trip. Uh, how upset on a scale of one to 10 are you? I mean, the thing is, I mean, this trip was planned, you know, a year in advance. And we had no idea, especially with COVID, when the show was going to come out. So, you know, it wasn't even something that we would have known. And it's just so funny, you know, it's like we've spent two years of our lives doing absolutely nothing, having no plans whatsoever. And then all of a sudden, I have two things I really want to do and they happen on the exact same day. So the day I'm flying out is the day of premiere and the show begins on Sunday night. And the thing is, I feel totally bummed just because it would have been fun. But honestly, I'm so happy that the kids are going to be able to go with you. And you, the three of you will have that memory, which wouldn't have happened. And I think you'll, in a way, you almost have a better time kind of showing them and being with them. And then we've seen the show. We've watched the show together. And my mom and I will be in Norway hovering over my computer, hopefully watching it. Your mom sent out an email to 750 of her closest friends. Literally every single contact that she has she sent it out. She's so proud of you and so happy for you. And she just, you know, she's just excited. It's, you know, it's exciting. And I want to say like my, my mom, who is not a bragging person at all because she just, it goes against her nature. I showed her the the first episode and she got teary eyed. Like it just meant something to her, you know, and that meant a lot to me. There's no question in my mind that your parents are as proud or more proud as my mother but my mother just has a different approach. And I think your mother, you know, errs on the side of, I don't want to look like, you know, I'm bragging about my son. But, yeah. you know, like. You can brag. It's not. I, I don't know. I think what I always say to you is, you know, life is hard. The, the day-to-day of life is hard. There's just so many struggles. And there's so much 
trouble in the world and there's so much weight on us and every now and then this like gift of something fun happens you know your book comes out you have this show there's a bar mitzvah you know just every now and then some some joyful nugget comes along and you have to like fully embrace it because you're going to blink and it's going to be over and we're going to be back in the treasury and there's going to be a war and there's like going to be another virus and it's just you know life is hard so it's like this is your this is your two weeks you know you should enjoy it you're you should tell all the people you should post all the pictures because in two weeks it'll be over and we'll just be regular people again damn that's my ted talk thanks wow. for coming but um that is true and i uh i just i actually agree with that i feel like the last two years have been very hard and we've all for all of us not obviously not just us and this has been this little beacon of light and something to really look forward to and I am like, I just, you know, from like Adam McKay and Kevin Messick to, you know, Max and Jim and Rod, all these guys, like, it's just like, it's brought something to my life that I never thought I'd have, you know? And it's just like, I'm always like, when people are like, your show, I'm like, it's not my show, but. I say it's a show based on your book. It's a show based on my book. And I feel a part of it. And it's been something amazing. It'll probably never happen again. It's like a, you know, stroke of luck. And uh, it's been one of the great experiences of my life and probably yours too, right? Wouldn't you say? Definitely. <laughs> it's been amazing. And you know what? I think you're a very humble guy in a lot of ways. I mean, you're just a very public person and you put every opinion out there. But at the same token, you're really not a bragger and you're, you don't want to build yourself up at the expense of someone else. And you, you know, pimping your books is embarrassing and hard and all these things. And I just will say that, you know, this is because of your book and this is this joyful thing. And like you've accomplished a lot of things that you say this wasn't part of your dream. You know, you, your dream stopped as a kid at Sports Illustrated and that was your first big thing. And so you never had dreams past that. But all these crazy things have happened to you because of the hard work. And you you look like this guy who wears like basketball shorts and like flip flops. And you look like a guy who doesn't work for sure, who barely sometimes, you know, has a home. And yet you <laughs> what? you work really, really hard. And people don't see you're up to like one, two in the morning. You work like pretty much every single day. And, you know, it's like you're an overnight success that you worked forever for. And I'm just want to tell you I'm very proud of you. Oh, uh, Earl. Yeah. Thanks. I dedicated this book to you, you know, and the kids. The Did kids you know said it was them. It was them and you. Oh, great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And you read the book. A long time it. ago. Yeah, I did read the book. Yeah, thank you. Love it. All right, so uh, you'll probably never hear from us again because we're about to get rich by a yacht and become Hollywood royalty. I so. will not be living on a yacht, ever. <laughs> what if we just move into the hills, somewhere in the hills? Okay. All right, and uh, we'll become Hollywood royalty? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, thank you for chatting with me, Catherine. Thank you, honey. It's been lovely being on this show with you. <laughs> like starring on the show. Yeah. I want to thank today's guest, uh, my wife and I, for joining me on Two Writers Slinging Yang. You can follow Catherine on Twitter at Catherine Perlman and watch Winning Time on HBO Max beginning March 6th. If you have a chance and enjoy Two Writers Slinging Yang, please go to the vehicle of your choice and leave a nice review. I make no money for doing this podcast and I rely on word of mouth. Also, check out my free weekly writing substack at perlman.substack.com. Music is by the great MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep writing.